0: This Janet Meffer Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. We're trying to provide 100 refugee families with emergency supplies and the gospel during this urgent time of crisis. Your gift of $116 will help two families. Please help today by calling 888-247-5499. That's 888-247-5499, or there's a banner to click at JanetMeffer.com. Welcome, everybody. It's great to have you here. I'm going to talk a little bit about a blog post that I have put up at Janetmafford.com. You can read it for yourself. It's a little bit on the lengthy side, but it really, I think, is worth your time to go through because in reading Whitaker Chambers' famous book, Witness, which I'm sure many of you have read as well, it dawned on me that his discussion of two faiths is very pertinent to where we are now. Now, you may have already deer veered off here and said, what are you talking about? Whitaker Chambers, if you don't know that name, is an ex-communist, was an ex-communist, who wrote a very famous book called Witness. It is brilliantly written, and it is extremely moving. He was a communist. He was involved with the Soviets as a spy. He was involved with a spy ring in the nation's capital, and he ended up testifying after leaving communism. He ended up revealing that Alger Hiss was a communist, and there was a whole trial against Alger Hiss, and he ended up being convicted of perjury. You can read the whole thing. It's 800 pages long, but I highly recommend it. But one of the most moving parts of the book is right at the beginning of the book where Whitaker Chambers says, when you leave communism, you leave communism because you end up realizing that there are really only two faiths, freedom or communism. And if you think about that, it makes a lot of sense. And I thought to myself, this is where we are now. And in some ways, it defines the political divide of the moment. I think there is not a Christian on earth who is biblically faithful who would not understand that what we are about at this moment in political history in the United States is about way more than a man. It's about way more than a political party. It it is. It's about more than the think tanks or the whole sum total of a political aisle. What it's about is freedom or communism. And that's why I recommend this book to everybody. One of the things, though, that had dawned on me as I do a lot of my research and reading for the show and I listen to a lot of audio is that what's happened in evangelicalism within the last especially 10 years is we have seen the liberalization of evangelicalism. We've seen this in the statistics when you look at some of these Barna numbers, the number of so-called evangelicals who don't even have a solid grounding in the most basics of the faith regarding sin and salvation and the deity of Jesus Christ and what the gospel is. These these are generations that are absolutely rootless and it's getting worse and worse and worse. And I don't mean to go into the whole reason for all of the chaos that we're seeing around us, but I can say definitively within the last 10 years, there has been a ramping up among a lot of these people that I refer to as Big Eva, kind of like, Big Tobacco or Big Pharma, Big Eva, Big Evangelical Elites, to move the church leftward. We've seen this with the homosexuality issue. We've seen this in the political realm. We've seen this with a lot of issues, the Black Lives Matter stuff, the racial justice, the social justice warrior garbage. We've seen this all over the place. And I thought to myself, as I was listening to a lot of these audio cuts and sermons that I listened to, these people are really subversives. Now I'm not saying every single one of them is subversive or is intending to be subversive, but what they're really doing is helping to unravel biblical faithfulness because it's not about a party. They love to accuse conservative Christians of being beholden to the GOP. Are you kidding me? Some of the best critics of the GOP are people who are really conservative Christians because they say they should be better on the issue of marriage. They should take a bolder stand. What is the GOP doing not going after big tech and the censorship of conservatives? So there is a lot of self-criticism that goes on. But this brings me to my article, which is called Freedom, Communism, and Big Eva's Betrayal. And in it, I really try to show you what is going on. What is going on with these evangelical elites like at Christianity Today and the Gospel Coalition and the Southern Baptist Convention? And I list some of the things, for example, that they're putting out there during this election season. They're having a hard time, really, Uh, especially on the issue of abortion. There are a lot of people who will go up against these guys and say, what in the world are you doing saying that, it, you know, you, you can go left when, in fact, it, it, that's the party of child murder? I don't understand. How can a Christian vote for a party that is about killing children in the womb? And now they have these very clever defenses. Oh, well, you need to be holistically pro-life. It's not enough to just be for babies in the womb, which we certainly are, but you also have to be for immigrants, and you have to be for refugees, and you have to be for whatever the left is pushing, or you're not really pro-life. That, that's just, I'm sorry, that's the serpent's voice. Sorry, I am for immigrants. I'm not for illegal immigration, which is going to destroy the United States, okay, And I'm not going to apologize for that. Here's another example. We're closing our churches for the foreseeable future because there are some of these people. Andy Stanley comes to mind. I'm going to close down my church for the rest of the year because we love our neighbors. We don't want them to catch the coronavirus. Oh, and by the way, we also publicly marched in large crowds during the early days of the church shutdowns to support Black Lives Matter. That's people like David Platt, people like Tabidi Aniabwile from the Gospel Coalition. Those guys. So that's one of their lines. Another, ones, uh, another one is this. Christians who vote for Republicans are basically a bunch of crazy QAnon supporters. Really? They're all crazy QAnon supporters? And here's another one. You're not loving Jesus or your neighbor if you assert your rights as a free American citizen. Why is that problematic? they are now pushing the talking points that if you are concerned about your religious freedom, if you are concerned about your freedom of speech, if you are concerned about the ongoing freedoms that you enjoy as an American citizen, that somehow you are being unfaithful to Jesus. They don't come out and say it that strongly, but they say it. I want to give you an example of this. This is from a recent sermon delivered by the president of the Southern Baptist Convention J.D. Greer, and he was referencing the Good Samaritan. Listen to Cut One.
1: So rights are good, okay? But as followers of Jesus, we are also called to die to our rights. Jesus said, if any man follows me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You understand in one sense, the priest and Levite had the right to walk on by this man. They hadn't caused the accident. Yet in another sense, they were profoundly responsible insisting on your rights feels very American. Dying to your rights does not, but that's where the call to follow Jesus and the call to follow the American dream diverge. What is he
0: talking about? Jesus never said you should give up your rights as a citizen in order to be a Christian. What Jesus was talking about when he said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, he was talking about discipleship, that you need to turn from your sin. You need to turn from your love of the world and your love of all the things of the world and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He wasn't talking about giving up your citizens' rights. And, and obviously, what was going on during Jesus' day in that context is not commensurate with what's going on in the United States right now. But a lot of people will walk away from that particular portion of the sermon and say, wow, so I guess it's pretty selfish of me to want to retain my rights as an American. I mean, I'm not really being selfless enough, and I'm not really loving my neighbor. Do you see how insidious this is? This is ridiculous. Now listen to what else he had to say in the same sermon. This is cut two.
1: It was a radical, unpopular message in Jesus's day, just as it is in ours. The world tells us to prioritize our needs. It tells us to choose candidates that would prioritize our needs and cater to what is best for us and whatever class of people we think that we're in. Jesus calls us to prioritize the needs of others. The world says only demand your rights. Jesus says also lay down your life.
0: Again, he's saying this in the context of an election and going into the ballot box. That's what it's about. He actually said during the course of that same sermon, I'll read it to you. As Christians, when we go to the ballot box, we ought to be thinking not just about our own rights. We ought to make decisions based on what helps others, not just what helps us. We should have no tolerance for statements or politics that denigrate or harm these groups. Who's he referring to? Immigrants, as he says. Well, illegal aliens is what he's talking about. And he tries to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 10, take out the word sojourner and tell his congregation, you have a responsibility and a command from God to take care of the sojourner. Never mind that they rip these context, these passages in the Old Testament out of context and try to reinterpret them to mean something that they absolutely did not mean. These people are really problematic and when we come back I'm going to give you some more examples of it are these evangelical elites on the side of freedom or by the way they talk and act are they really wanting communism to win because the differences are that stark this election season we're going to come back stay with us How much is one life worth? Most of us would say life is priceless, and we'd be right. After all, what is the value of someone created in the image of God? We're asking Janet Meffer Today listeners, just like you, to help us save babies through the ministry of Preborn. How does Preborn save babies? Through ultrasounds. Preborn works with hundreds of pro-life pregnancy centers across America, providing free ultrasounds for women in crisis pregnancies. And 80% of the time, when a mother sees her little baby on an ultrasound, she'll choose life. It's that easy. We need your help to support the vital work of pre-born in saving human lives. For your gift of $28, you can provide a free ultrasound to a mom in a crisis pregnancy. And for a gift of $140, you can provide five ultrasounds to five mothers. All you have to do is call 855-402-BABY. That's 855 855-402- 402-2229 or there's a banner to click at JanetMafford.com. Thank you for saving a baby's life. For several years now, Syrians have been pouring into the country of Lebanon to seek refuge amid terrorism and civil war. Now the crisis in Lebanon has escalated in the aftermath of COVID-19, a crumbling economy, and a devastating explosion in Beirut. Yet the spiritual crisis in Lebanon is the most devastating crisis of all because many people there have still never heard anything about Jesus. That's why Heart for Lebanon. Lebanon is on the ground ministering to hurting refugee families in the South and the Bekaa Valley in Lebanon, providing emergency supplies, Christian education, Bible studies, and worship gatherings for these refugee families. And the impact is incredible. Your investment of $116 will help two families impacted by the crisis in Lebanon to get emergency supplies that they need to survive during the next 60 days. But best of all, these families will hear the gospel of Jesus for the very first time. A gift of $58 is enough to help one family. Can you help? Call now, 888-247-5499. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet we are back. Thanks for being with us. I have a new post over at com. Freedom, Communism, and Big Eva's Betrayal. I'm referring to the big evangelical elites, people at like Christianity Today, the Gospel Coalition, the heads of the Southern Baptist Convention, and a lot of other ministries. There are a lot of people I would put into that category of Big Eva, and these people are trying to move the church leftward, and they are working over time during this election season to confuse you, to guilt you, to shame you, and to move you away from voting for Donald Trump. They are. They tried it in 2016. The way they tried it in 2016 was through tactics like the one that was put forth by Russell Moore, the head of the ERLC at the Southern Baptist Convention, that you are selling out all of your moral principles if you vote for Donald Trump. All of your moral principles. That's kind of a wide-sweeping statement, but that's what they said. And they had this gathering at Wheaton College. Remember this a couple of years ago? And it was a secret invite-only meeting. And it was a bunch of these big evil elites were going to meet. And basically what they revealed beforehand was that they they needed to figure out what to do about these evangelicals who were voting for Trump. Because 81% of evangelicals, white evangelicals, who voted for Trump is a big problem for these people. You know, they're leading us and we're not following them. So they got to figure something out. Well, I want to play for you some cuts that really bother me. Uh, This is from an interview done on the Gospel Coalition podcast. Colin Hansen is hosting this podcast. His guest is David Platt. David Platt, formerly heading up the International Mission Board, I believe it was, at the Southern Baptist Convention. He is pastor at McLean Bible Church in Washington, D.C. He's got a new book out about voting. But here... Here's some unbelievable cuts. You got to listen to this. Colin Hansen first does a little introduction quoting from Platt's book. This is cut
2: three. Elections have consequences, but not nearly as much as we probably think. That's what I concluded after reading David Platt's new book, Before You Vote, Seven Questions Every Christian Should Ask, published by Radical. Here's a sober dose of biblical reality from Platt in the book, quote, Even if we lose every freedom and protection we have as followers of Jesus in the United States, and even if our government were to become a completely totalitarian regime, we could still live an abundant life as long as we didn't look to political leaders, platforms, or policies for our ultimate security and satisfaction." It's not exactly the way you run fundraising and get out the vote operations in today's American (laughs) politics. But Platt's book includes lots of countercultural advice, saturated with biblical references on humility, freedom, and duty, along with David's characteristic perspective informed by the global church. Platt serves as lead pastor of McLean Bible Church in Northern Virginia, a congregation where employment for many depends on the outcome of the November elections.
0: Now, did you hear that last line? Keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. The people that he's preaching to, the results of the election affects their jobs. Well, think about the people who live in Washington, D.C. and what party they tend to be from. Just think about that. I'm going to come back to this. Then listen to this justification of voting against pro-life candidates. This is a very interesting thing that David Platt has to say about being pro-life and the effect that being pro-life should have on your vote. Listen to this. Cut four.
3: I was talking the other day with somebody. Who said, um, and so this is specific to Northern Virginia and the state of Virginia, but who said they are zealously pro-life and that's why they are voting for uh, Joe Biden. And I was like, okay, help me, help me, like <laughs> help me unpack that. And they said, well, because they believe that the, so we had a midterm election in Virginia where everything went toward uh it's like the governor, all the legislature is Democratic, and there have been all kinds of moves that have been made to make abortion much more accessible, much more prevalent. Their contention is this person is speaking to me, their contention is that that happened as a response to uh, the way President Trump has led, that that's what led. So that they're, they're basically saying that there was a reaction in Virginia against the way the Republican party has been moving and as a result there's all there's it's a totally democratically controlled legislature and there's more abortions as a result of the way president trump has led so i'm not saying that that is okay that everybody should believe that but it's possible for a follower of jesus to believe that so it's it's definitely possible for followers of jesus to believe that abortion is wrong and still not vote for President Trump for a number of other reasons.
0: Let me get this straight. The reasoning of this allegedly zealously pro-life friend of David Platt's was that because Virginia, the Democrats in Virginia who now control the legislature, are radically pro-abortion and have implemented laws that have increased the abortion rate that you want to vote for more Democrats, you want to vote for more people like this because the reason that they're doing what they're doing is they are reacting to the policies of Donald Trump. What kind of logic is this? You are, what are you thinking? What are you saying? And the worst thing about that is Platt's reaction. You know, I think that's a viable position to take. You know, if you're zealously pro-life and you vote for the people who are pro-genocide and pro-infanticide, you know, I think that's fine for a follower of Jesus to take that position. That guy should be fired as a pastor for saying that. What are you talking about? It's something he would never say on the issue of slavery. He's got his pet issues. He was the one that was out marching with Black Lives Matter during the church shutdowns. So I'm sure he would never say anything about slavery that was that insane. What is he doing saying he's pro-life and then making an excuse for some numbskull who says, gee, I hate abortion, which is why I'm going to vote for the party of abortion. That makes total sense and doesn't get any rebuke from the pastor, so far as we know. What about biblical marriage? Now, Colin Hansen asked, is there any current political issue where you don't see any room for Christians to disagree on either goals or strategies? Here's cut five.
3: Everything we do as Christians should be focused on promoting a a biblical view of marriage. At the same time, so not like pulling back from that, like it's, it's rare that we get to vote and it's just crystal clear. Do you believe marriage is this or that? There's often 10 other issues. So that's one of the things I walk through in the book. There's, there's so many other issues that you start dealing with competing injustices and you start realize, okay, this person, this candidate is going to promote biblical marriage, but they're not going to do this over here, which I I think would be helpful. And this candidate over here is going to do that, but not going to do this. And then that's where you start to weigh those decisions. I just, I think the way our elections work, especially in a two-party system where you have two choices, it's not going to be that clear cut in the kind of elections that we do in conversations about marriage, about sexuality, about abortion, and uh, strategies for how to go about that. I think that is where strategies is definitely going to get more nuanced and maybe variable because uh, you can have the same end, but the means to get there, you might think this is wiser or that is wiser.
0: Unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. This guy can nuance everything when it has to do with what is morally right. Right. Stand for biblical marriage. Well, I would vote for the guy who is for biblical marriage, but, you know, maybe I don't like the other 10 things he stands for. Tell me, David Platt, somebody who has the guts and the conviction to stand up against so-called homosexual non-marriage, what would be the 10 things you disagree with that he would stand for? Because that's just a conservative position, and it's a hard position to take nowadays because you're going to get crucified for talking about it, at least rhetorically speaking. He won't say but, I mean, you know, you got to be nuanced. I don't really think, you know, marriage is an issue that Christians should have to, you know, get rid of their disagreement on. I mean, I think there there's room for people on both sides. Unbelievable. Then... Hansen brings up the issue of President Trump visiting Platt's church. Do you remember that? And I guess he only had a couple of minutes notice before Trump arrived. He got a lot of criticism from the liberals for letting Trump come to his church. So Hansen asked, given the same scenario again, would you make the same decision to let President Trump come? This was the reaction from David Platt. Cut six.
3: (laughs) Well, well played on, on final question. I... Don't know exactly what I do. I, I, as best as I can tell, yeah, I hope I was following the leadership of the Spirit in that moment. Um, And it's interesting. I just would mention this just in case somebody decides I'm not going to read this book. But one of the things I do in the book is some people think, why is that even a question? If you think that, like, that's where I would encourage you to read the book because that's where it's helpful to realize that actually there are followers of Jesus who have different perspectives on that, not on whether or not to pray for the president. We should always do that. We should all do that. That's like clear in the Bible. That's first of the two. Yeah. Again, that was surprising. People thought I was saying maybe we shouldn't pray for the president. Like, no, of course we should. We should pray publicly for the president in the church, but whether or not to bring the president on stage and do that, I, I would, I'll just put it this way. If, if we were going to do that again, I I would love to be able to shepherd our people before. And during and after that, to make sure that the gospel was clear and unity around Christ and the church was not in any way questioned. Like there's, a, there's a variety of things pastorally I would want to do,
0: in that. What in the world is he talking about? That was the biggest. Nothing burger I've ever heard coming from a pastor's mouth on a podcast. And that's saying a lot. He said nothing. He was babbling. Would you have Trump back to your church if given the same chance again? Well, you know, blah, 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 blah. Oh, by the way, I would shepherd my congregation in advance to show them the gospel. What does that mean? What is that? We know what the answer is. Going back to that first cut that I played. He has a lot of people in his congregation whose jobs depend on the next election. Code, the Democrat better win. That's what I'm reading into it. He didn't say it, but I'm reading into it. When you have a fear of man that trumps your fear of God, you babble. When you have clear biblical conviction, you speak the truth. That's it. That's how I see it. And as far as I see it, we have this existential problem in this country where we are now having to get either on the side of freedom or on the side of communism, which is it going to be? And that is not something that I think is nuanced. And I don't think that it's something that is negotiable. And I don't think that people like this and Big Eva are qualified to have any sort of moral authority to say anything about anything when they're talking like that. See, I'm not nuanced. I'll just tell you what I think. We're going to come back. Stay with us on Janet Effort today. This Janet Mefford Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. We're trying to provide 100 refugee families with emergency supplies and the gospel during this urgent time of crisis. Your gift of $116 will help two families. Please help today by calling 888-247-5499. That's 888-247-5499. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back. For many years now, women have been indoctrinated into believing that sex is a choice and therefore so is a baby. And if you get pregnant, it's your body and your decision whether or not to get an abortion. Of course, we know that the legality of abortion has nothing to do with the morality or even the reality of abortion. That's a child in your womb and children are a gift from God. But there is a unique form of pain when you are a woman who has had an abortion and then you realize that abortion is the taking of a human life. Is there hope and healing afterward? Michelle Shelfer with Prepare a Room Ministries joins us today with a message of hope for those who have been hurt by abortion. She's an artist and also author of the book we'll be talking about called Prepare a Room, A Path to Peace and Healing for Those Hurt by Abortion. Michelle, thank you so much for being with us. How are you?
4: I'm just great. I'm so honored to be with you today, Janet.
0: Oh, it's great to have you here. And I, I think all of these sorts of discussions when you're dealing with somebody's pain and suffering and regret are made more powerful when the person offering the advice knows exactly what you've been through. And that's true of you. Can you talk a little bit about your story, your experience with abortion, and how it was that the Lord brought you around on the issue?
4: Yes, I'd be happy to do that, because just before I get to my personal story, I'm just becoming more and more convinced, as this book is becoming um, something that's talked about, that there are so many women, mostly women, men too, but mostly women out there who are silently suffering, just as you explained. This is a very unique kind of pain that uh, right now, because of the monopoly on the airwaves of the pro-choice message, there's just no open door to talk about it, and so a lot of people are walking around carrying a lot of shame and grief yeah. with nowhere to go with those feelings. Right. So I'm, I'm happy to tell my story I was raised in a secular home. I was encouraged in every way to explore my creativity. My parents were artists, and uh, they were bohemians. They lived a really out-there, alternative lifestyle, and they trained me in that and trained me as an artist to think creatively. But a large part of that was the idea that I was also encouraged to explore my sexuality and my sexual freedom. (laughs) And... I did that with very little restraint. My parents were the type of people who just never wanted to say no to their children. They wanted to just have a very positive, creative environment, and I, I guess your listeners can possibly imagine what kind of a wild monster I ended up no. <laughs> being because there was no one, you know, giving me any guidelines or any borders, sure. no limits. So. As a young adult I really did explore my sexuality I was very promiscuous and eventually of course when you are living this way you, you generally end up sometime you know with an unwanted pregnancy and so that was the case with me and I was also trained during an, an era when the feminist movement was really strongly telling women that they had a right to an abortion and this was what I, I believed it I swallowed The whole line. And so when it came time for an abortion, because it it didn't even occur to me that there was anything wrong with that, and I certainly wasn't going to interrupt my self serving life to consider the needs of another human being, um, I just went to the appointment as though it were, you know, I was going to the hair salon Mm. and was very flip and very casual about it. I didn't give it much thought. My boyfriend didn't even bother to come with me to the appointment. We just thought so little of it. We just really were uninformed, or I should really just say willfully misinformed is a better way to put it. And uh, my conversion, so to speak, the veil being lifted from my eyes, took place actually on the table there, uh, just at the very end as the procedure was taking place, Mm. when I walked out of the clinic, I was completely transformed. I was utterly shattered. I felt so completely betrayed by all the lies that I had been told because for some reason I knew exactly what I had done at that very moment. It was um, a life-changing moment. I was devastated. And those feelings stayed with me for decades, and I dealt with them in many different ways, not very effectively until I was finally able to deal with them effectively uh, because of my faith in Christ and because I saw that my inability to receive his forgiveness was really an obstacle, and I was even to the point of blaspheming him by not accepting his forgiveness. Wow. So <clears throat> I kind of went on a journey to, to fully overcome what I saw as a serious setback in my faith walk, and was finally able to find peace and
0: healing. Wow. Well, you know, I thought it was very interesting in your account of your life story, you also talk about your almost abortion, and and that was very moving as well, because your boyfriend ran in, he didn't want you to go through with it, and you didn't want to go through with it, but you had that time, didn't you? Because your appointment was late, you had the time to consider it. How do you reflect back on that now, because you went on to have your child?
4: Yes, you know, that was a really important moment as well. Just finishing with the last abortion, uh, my boyfriend and I just went on doing what we were doing because we didn't know any better. I didn't have any information about how to behave differently, so it wasn't long before I got pregnant again. But there were a few differences this time. This time, when we went to the clinic, first of all, it was in Corpus Christi, Texas, which I I treasure just the name of that town Mm. and the fact that that's where we were, Mm. And secondly, that there were uh, people outside the clinic who were quietly uh, over on the side praying as I went in. So wow. they were actually praying for me. Nice. The third thing that was different was that, as you said, I was alone in the room instead of being in a group of girls. Uh, I was really just stuck with myself and was able to reflect. And I always consider it a miracle that the doctor, whoever was dealing with the patient who went before me was delayed by a full hour. So I had a full hour to sit by myself and reflect. And I, you know, for me, I was of such little imagination that I couldn't even conceive of a life where I would actually follow through and have the baby. But during that hour, I became willing. Mm. So, yes, as you said, I ran and got my money back just as my boyfriend was running in saying, you didn't do it, did you? Let's get out of here. (laughs) And he proposed to me in the parking lot of the abortion clinic, and we've been married for 38 years now, and that child is indeed my first child, my son, Aww. my first living child, I should say. He's the father of five, and my daughter, who came three years later uh, as a, a planned child, hmm. is the daughter, is, is the mother of six. He's the father of five. She's the mother of six. And so a quite an unlikely pair for us to be um grandparents of 11, but so it is. That That is God throws his blessings all over us (laughs) with
0: such love. Well, he does. How does this all connect to your putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Because obviously, initially, when you were going through this whole experience, that was a completely foreign concept to you. What difference did your faith in Jesus make when it comes to how you were able to go back and find forgiveness and and heal and let the Lord heal you from that, that abortion that you went through?
4: Well, it's the difference between having an arm extended with hope and not having that arm extended with hope. So life without Jesus was very much um, all about myself and self, and it was really limited. And there was always this sense that I had done something wrong, but I did not necessarily know what to do with it, how to think about it. it. It sat beneath the surface and expressed itself came bubbling up in funny ways without ever being really fully faced head-on. But in Jesus, you know, we're told that we're forgiven. So are we going to accept that extended hand of forgiveness, or are we not? It becomes uh, an issue then. It becomes a front-burner issue because we say to ourselves, well, what I've done is much too uh, egregious. God's arm is too short to reach me. I can't be forgiven for this particular sin. And so when we're faced with that, we would we, we look at the scriptures. I mean, I was just reading this morning in Luke 7, the woman um, who is a sinner, she's come into the company of the, these people who are listening to Jesus teach, and he turns to the assembled group and says, her sins are forgiven, and he repeats it again to her. He says, your sins are forgiven, your faith has saved you. Go in
0: peace. I love that. Hang on just a moment. We do need to pause for a short break. Michelle Schelfer with us. Prepare a Room is the name of her book and we'll come right back on Janet Meffer today. Did you know that bible list believers around the world are praying to receive their very own copy of God's Word? Through the ministry of Bible League International, you can send those Bibles today. Hear from Meng in Vietnam. If they don't have Bible,
2: how they can find the truth? Because the Bible like a map to bring them to find the truth. And many people, they are really... Uh, hungry for the Word of God and then they need the Bible.
0: Nepo is a pastor in Ghana praying for Bibles for former Muslim radicals now following Christ. Anna was forced into an arranged marriage to an abusive atheist in Albania, but her godly witness changed his heart and now he needs a Bible. Emilio lost everything after his home was burned by terrorists in Mexico and he's praying for a Bible to share Christ with others. Will you be the answer to these pleas for God's Word? $5 sends one Bible, $50 sends 10. And because of a match gift right now your gift will be doubled call 800 yes word 800 yes word 800 yes word or there's a banner to click at janetmeffer.com are you in need of a health care program you're in luck as a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month, and there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month, and there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a non-profit ministry, not insurance, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for You're listening to Janet Mefford today, and now here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back, thank you for being with us. It's great to have with us as well, Michelle Shelfer, author, of prepare a room, a path to peace and healing for those hurt by abortion. And you were telling your own testimony, Michelle, and before we went to the break, you were pointing out, you know, having the extended hand of hope that the Lord offers versus not having that hand of hope was all the difference that was needed in your life. And, and you were citing the word of God, uh, you know, assuring us that when we have sinned that God will forgive us if we come to Him in faith and we, you know, we have Jesus as our Savior, we know that His promises are sure, and that really was a reality in your life, wasn't it?
4: It absolutely was, because uh, this thing which had sat like a festering sore for so many years without being very clearly addressed suddenly became something that I could look at a little more clearly. And um, I'll bring you another scripture that really made a difference for me um, from Hebrews 4, where it speaks of a Sabbath rest that God has for his people. Yes. And it goes on to say, be diligent to enter that rest. So I really had a responsibility to find that rest and to find that forgiveness and to uh, examine why, why can't I allow Jesus to do what he's already done in my life? and allow him to forgive me. Uh, I was so, you know, women today, it's not just me. There, There is this attachment to a terrible uh, burden of shame. It's so hard to give it up because it's utterly um, devastating. It's so filthy to talk about. Who can you talk to about these things? I'm convinced that even the people that we're sitting next to in the pews, the people in our family, uh, th- there's so many who are just uh, unable to find an open door to, to cope with their shame. So that was the case for me. And the, the thing that made a big difference for me was thinking about the child uh, that my husband and I, I went on to marry the boyfriend, and he's now my husband, I think I mentioned that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the child that we aborted was really central to my story of my journey to peace and healing because I I couldn't conceive of how, after what I had done to her, that she could forgive me, much less Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so the Lord took me on a journey, and I'm I'm sort of a logical girl, so I, I try to think in logical sequence to get to where I need to be. And it struck me, where is this child of mine? Well, the scriptures tell us that she is with God, she's with Jesus. So if she's with Jesus, what's the likelihood that she's going to be holding uh, resentment against me or pointing a finger at me? Mm. Well, she's not. She's living in the lap of Jesus. She's living in the lap of the one who is the forgiver himself. So when I was able to, as it was almost as though I heard her saying to me, how can I help but forgive you? I live with Jesus. <laughs> and with that message, that was really when the weight lifted And this is why I've started to draw these foundlings on a daily basis. I draw, the, you know, as a tribute to the 1.72 billion children who've been lost in abortion worldwide in the last 40 years, I draw them as they might appear if they had lived. But I also, um, I'm drawing them because my own child acted as an ambassador of God's grace and forgiveness, and I'm hoping that these drawings will... Do the same for other people That is as, wonderful as, as, her, as she did for me.
0: Yeah, it, it is a wonderful thing. And if you go to com, you can see some of those beautiful sketches that you've done of these children, which is so neat. And it has to be part of the healing for you. And, you know, in your book, I know we don't have time to get into all of these things, but maybe hit on a point or two. When you are ministering to other women who have been through abortion and are really lost in the shame that you mentioned and the regret and can't seem to get over it. How do you begin to help a woman to really capture what you have in what you've expressed pertaining to the forgiveness that God has extended to you? How do you begin to have hope again when you're looking back on your abortion and you feel like you can never, ever get over it?
4: You know, it's, it's individual. One has to be attentive to the needs of the person who's in front of you. But, you know, the reason that I wrote the book is because I really needed a new strategy in many ways, these women um, can be very unreachable. They're tra- traumatized, the need of the moment is urgent, and yet they're, they're also running away from help. You find that the, the, the whole process of uncovering these feelings is so filthy and so uncomfortable for people that they, uh, they really want to run from it. <laughs> so this is why I, I felt that a book was a better way to go than what I've been doing. I, I'm one of the point people for my local um, pregnancy center, the, the, the agency that uh, provides an alternative to, to Planned Parenthood in, in my local area. Great. And, uh, well, basically what the book does, and the reason it's called Prepare a Room, is it's, it's really inviting you to make a place in your life for this to become a front-burner issue. It, rather than burying it, rather than pushing it down, rather than minimizing it, rather than listening to the voices in your life which say, well, you don't even have a reason to be hurt by abortion because abortion, what's wrong with abortion? So obviously we can't confess to any post-abortion trauma because that brings scrutiny to the morality behind abortion. And there are many voices that one will be hearing in society that will tell you that you don't even have a cause or a reason or a basis to feel that pain. So the, the book is an invitation to really make a space in your life to consider the option that, that really um, this is a very important issue to be examining and that it, it could even be for some people at the root of many problems that they haven't even made a connection with their, you know, an abortion that took place maybe for some years, for some even decades, Uh, earlier in their lives. And yet, uh, it's still touching them. It's still affecting them. It's still taking them down a dark path. And they're kind of walking around with a cloud over their head, like those cartoons where it's raining on one person who's walking along Hmm. in a sunny day. Yes. Um, So that's, uh, those are some ideas. of how to get started. It's a 10 step process. There's at the heart of the book is a, is a message about learning how to love. And I really believe that that is at the heart of the healing process.
0: Well, that's, that's such an important thing. And, and you really hit on something, I believe, when you were saying that for many women, they don't want to face it. They don't want to have to talk about it because I I think that that's a natural human thing when your pain is so great. There's a reluctance to go there because you just feel like you're going to completely fall apart and never be put back together again. But that's part of what you do need to do if you are to move all the way through. You know, the old line about the only way out of it is through it. And God really does take us through those steps of having to deal with our sin, no matter what our sin is, so he can bring about healing. And I, I like how you say, Michelle, that you need to prepare a room for yourself or prepare a room for your child as well uh, in your imagination, but also the one last room, which is room in your heart for Jesus to live in. Can you speak to that very briefly, the importance of that room that you'll open to the Lord?
4: Well, that's really sort of the the big punchline or culmination of the book. Uh, the idea of prepare a room came from the Isaac Watts uh, christmas carol that we love to sing let every heart prepare him room uh and that's an invitation not only to nations but to individuals to create a place in their heart that has a willingness to let jesus come in and do his transformative work because he is the author of love And his love is a perfect love. It's not like the love that we experience with fellow humans who all seem to fall short in some way, even the most beloved. But yet his is perfect, and he can do a work inside of our hearts that will absolutely transform us. We don't have the power to do these things by ourselves. We don't have the power to atone for ourselves. We don't have the power necessarily to overcome many pains and hurts and griefs that we have experienced in our life, but yet God has that power, and He is so in love with the human race that He even decided to become one of us, and has left us even after He's ascended to be with the Father, He's left us with His Holy Spirit, which teaches us and guides us into all truth. It counsels us. It keeps us company on a daily basis. Hmm. It opens our eyes, the eyes of our understanding, to, to understand what Scripture has for us. And okay. the Scripture is living and breathing And it will speak to you. It will speak in ways that are absolutely relevant to what you're going through. I love that. So that's what the invitation is really all about.
0: So neat. Well, we have to leave it there. But again, the name of the book is Prepare a Room. You can also check out preparearoom.com. Michelle Schelfer with us. Michelle, thank you for sharing your story and for offering hope to other women who have been really hurt by the pain of abortion. God bless you. And thanks again for being here.
4: Thank you, Janet.
0: You are so welcome. God bless you. And we'll see you next time on Janet Mufford Today.